Welcome to Unchained TV, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. You're about to hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your health, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I am so honored to have with me from Israel. I'm in Los Angeles. He's in Israel, the world's leading expert on the connection between veganism and Judaism, Professor Richard Schwartz, PhD, amazing man. Tell us, what is the connection between Judaism and veganism, sir? Okay, thanks. It's such a pleasure to be on. I want to commend you for your years of activism, which you must continue success. Okay, many, many connections. I try to point out there's six Jewish mandates. By the way, other religions have similar mandates, but six mandates that point to veganism as the ideal diet. These are, and I'll just list them now, and I'll be happy to explain them more as we go forward, but the six mandates to take care of our health, to treat animals with compassion, to protect the environment, to uh, conserve natural resources, to help hungry people, and seek and pursue peace. By the way, in addition to that, in the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, in the very first chapter, chapter 1, verse 29, God's first dietary regimen, strictly vegan, talks about the herbs of the field, fruit from the trees, and uh, that's the beginning, and also the messianic period that Jews yearn for, uh, also is pictured as to be vegan based on the powerful prophecy of Isaiah, which is that at that ideal time, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will stalk the ox, no one shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. So, the, you know, I'm sure we'll go into much more detail, but that is the basic uh, connection between Judaism and other religions as well and veganism. Well, uh, absolutely brilliant and it's not just anybody saying this i want to just show you some of the books that richard schwartz has written just some of them we'd be here all day listing everything he has done he's written the vegan revolution saving our world revitalizing judaism he's written jewish veganism and vegetarianism studies and new directions he's written judaism and global survival um so you are arguably the world's leading expert on the connection between Judaism and veganism. And uh, in looking this up, I have no way to independently confirm this. Um, There is um, a lot of reporting that Israel is the most vegan nation or one of the top vegan nations in the world with an estimated 5% of its population vegan and um, a tremendous amount of vegan entrepreneurship coming out of Israel and Tel Aviv. Can you address that, sir? And you are in Israel. Whereabouts in Israel are you? Are you in Tel Aviv? No, actually, I'm in a place called Shoresh, a wonderful, wonderful retirement village. It's roughly halfway between uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And uh, really great, uh, all kinds of activities. And thank God, by the way, I'm now 89 but every morning I can go to the gym in the pool, play ping pong once a week and take part in ping pong tournaments. So thank God for that. And uh, you know, all kinds of activities here. It's wonderful to be at uh, such a retirement village. 
And I am showing you video of some of the great fruit and vegetable markets in Tel Aviv, which I have myself visited and enjoyed so much. Um, there is a tremendous amount of just natural vegetarianism in um, Israel because of the climate, the availability of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains in abundance. Their, their fruit and vegetable markets are amazing in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem I visited. So why is that the reason that um, veganism is doing so well? Are there other reasons? Okay, well, I'd like to believe that the mandates I spoke about before are part of it, you know, that uh, very strong teachings. And just to give a quick example, and to talk about compassion for animals, uh, according to Judaism, Jews are to be Rachmanim, B'nai Rachmanim, compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. Book of Proverbs says a righteous individual considers the lives of his animal. In the Torah, it talks about you can't yoke a strong and weak animal, and you can't muzzle an ox while threshing in the field. It's so important that it's part of the Ten Commandments, which indicates not only are human beings to rest, but um, farmed animal pets as well. And one of the teachings also is that before a Jew sits down to his or her own meal, he or she is to make sure that any pet they have, any farmed animal, is fed uh, beforehand. One other thing, of course, in Judaism, there's the so-called laws of kashrut, or the kosher laws. So Jews uh, are sort of already considering their food choices. So these are some of the reasons, the powerful teachings on compassion, and uh, point out very important teachings about health, that. Uh, it says in the Torah, for Nishmatem, be old enough, she'll take him. It means you should diligently guard her health. Word are old in that very much. It's 613 mandates, but uh, very few, if any, that have that old. There's also a Jewish concept called Pekuach Nefesh, which is that everything possible must be done to try and save a life. And actually, the 613 Jewish uh, mitzvot commandments but 610 of them can be overridden if a life is in danger and, uh, uh, you know, Jews feel more important to violate a Lord and one day to save a life than uh, to keep the law and, God forbid, somebody should die from, from that. All right, we've got a caller, uh, Nilofar in Dallas, Texas. Your question or thought for Dr. Richard Schwartz, professor and author. Hello, Dr. Schwartz. It's such a pleasure. Uh, well, Judaism, you. like other Abrahamic religions, include rituals of animal sacrifice as well as um, youth. How can that edict be reconciled with animal rights? Thanks so much. Okay, well, very good question. Well, according to the great Jewish philosopher Maimonides, the sacrifices were a concession to the times. That was a common mode of worship in ancient times. People just didn't have any other. And it was felt that if there wasn't initially sacrifices, that Jews may have rejected that and all of Judaism. But the idea was to keep it in one central location and hopefully to wean the Jews off of uh, idolatry. So, and, and it's also a great advancement in the Torah on that because in other 
religions of paganism at the time, there was human sacrifice, child sacrifice, and so certainly that was strongly eliminated. In addition, the biblical prophets spoke out very strongly indicating that God was more concerned about mercy and justice. Matter of fact, the sacrifices could be an abomination to God if carried out along with acts of injustice, oppression, for example. And uh, according to Ralph Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel, he felt that in the ideal time to come in two temples and did have sacrifices, but it was the third temple that uh, there would be sacrifices, but only with grains, with oil, not with animals. Of course, the thought is in that ideal time, people would be at a higher madrega, a higher level. There would be no need for sin offerings or guilt offerings, but Thanksgiving offerings were always appropriate, but that could be done with grains, oils, with vegetarian uh, products. And I want to uh, put up a couple of comments that are from a um, PowerPoint presentation that you regularly give. And it says here, Jewish teachings on peace. Seek peace and pursue it. And nations shall build their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What does this mean, Dr. Schwartz? Okay, well, again, uh, very strong teachings, again, from the Book of Psalms. As I mentioned before, Judaism has 613 mitzvot. Only two of them have that very powerful word, pursue. In other words, it's not like uh, waiting around, uh, you have to seek it where you are, but pursue it everywhere else. The other thing we're told to pursue is justice. So we have that. And the second quote is, again, from Isaiah, and, uh, you know, Jews have gone to war, not always in defensive reasons, but there's a prophetic yearning for the ideal time when, as it says, uh, nations have built their swords in the plowshares, their spears and their pruning hooks, and not study war anymore. So this uh, is very important uh, mitzvah in, in Judaism. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, as we know, looking at the Russian invasion of Ukraine, for example, seems to be wars in history, but uh, uh, the idea is hopefully to uh, move toward a more peaceful world. We are speaking with this amazing wise man. Did you say you were 89, sir? Yep, yep, but I was, I was born at a very early age, so that uh, sort of helps. <laughs> well, you are the author of so many books, as well as many articles in the Jerusalem Post, hundreds of articles online, as well as YouTube videos. But here are his three key books, Vegan Re Revolution, Saving Our World, Revitalizing Judaism, Jewish Veganism and Vegetarianism, Studies in New Directions, Judaism and Global Survival. So uh, let me ask you, you touch on so many things. You touch on uh, compassion, not just to animals, but also to human beings. And in your PowerPoint presentation, you have this, the scandal of world hunger. So can you explain the connection between um, veganism and combating world hunger? Okay, before that, a couple of points. Uh, thank you for showing those pictures. And I'm hoping within a month or two, I'm going to have a new book coming out, and that's going to be the 20th anniversary edition of that book, 
Judaism and global survival. You can see I've always been concerned about that the world is so threatened. And I hope later on maybe we can discuss more about climate threats, for example. Also, thanks for mentioning a more recent book, which is A Vegan Revolution, as you said. And the issues are so critical that I am very happy to offer the PDF of that book to anybody that contacts me by email. And that's at Veggie Rich, B-E-G-G-I-E, then R-I-C-H at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send a PDF of that book because I want it to be spread as much as possible. All okay, right. now let's go back to the scandal of question. world hunger. World okay. hunger. Right, right. Okay, well, first of all, it is a scandal because there could be enough food to feed every person on the planet. But one thing, and this is really how I initially got into veganism on this issue, it's a scandal because the recent estimates are about nine, uh, let's see, what is it? Nine, 80 billion, uh, 80 billion nine, animals killed every year. Yeah, right, 80 billion, but about nine, uh, nine million people dying of hunger and effects every year, and almost 10% being chronically malnourished. There's enough food, but it's really scandalous that 70% of the grain produced in the U.S. and perhaps about 40% of grain produced worldwide is fed to animals to fatten them up for slaughter. And so instead of feeding people, again, there could be enough to end all the hunger in that. And what's even more scandalous is we take healthy foods like corn and oats and soy they are high in the importance of fiber and complex carbohydrates and devoid of cholesterol and saturated fat. We feed them into animals and we end a very unhealthy product, just the opposite, high in cholesterol and, of course, heart disease, I think, is the number one killer. So um, if people shifted a vegan diet and the food produced was fed directly to people, that could uh, end a scandal of world hunger at least sharply, sharply reduce it. And I don't like to show too many gruesome videos, but these are actually recent photos from undercover mm -hmm. investigations into current factory farming. Um, these are just literally animal activists went into this pig farm mm -hmm. in Canada and uh, they went into this uh, chicken farm in Virginia and this is what they found. Okay, so I don't like to uh, traumatize people, but if you if you're if you find it so disturbing that you can't look at it, well, maybe you should consider not eating it. And one thing that was said the other day that I thought was interesting, they said, you know, you'd have no problem sitting down and eating lunch at an orchard, but you'd have a big problem sitting down and eating lunch at a slaughterhouse, right? So these are thoughts that that we have to keep in mind. Now, as a vegan myself, not being Jewish, but um, I've always said, wow, I'm vegan, so that makes me automatically kosher. Am I correct mm -hmm. in saying that? And uh, explain mm -hmm. more about the connection between kosher and vegan. Well, absolutely. It makes it much, much easier to keep both the kosher food to be kosher on a vegan diet because some of the things, you know, a lot of it involves meat. You can't eat certain animals. And uh, according to Judaism, it says it three times in the Torah, actually, you can't uh, mix meat and milk. You have to wait. If you have a meat meal, you have to wait. Well, different people have different traditions, but many say you have to wait at least six hours. 
So it, it, it's, it's really scandalous. As I said before, Judaism has these very powerful teachings on compassion for animals. And uh, you're well aware uh, of the, how far the uh, realities are for animals. And just the two examples, uh, you know, most people eat milk from cows, but those cows are artificially impregnated every single year. And what the industry itself calls rape racks, and then the baby's taken away almost right away. So that milk, which was really meant for the calves, and according to Ralph Cook, I mentioned before, he considers that a theft. So it's really very traumatic. And then an animal, the mother and the baby, uh, just bellowing, uh, recognizing they could be only uh, maybe 10 yards away. But the mother, the dairy cow cannot uh, nurse, even touch or really express any uh, love for the baby. And of course, at the egg-laying hatcheries, uh, I think the latest number was 250 million chicks are killed almost immediately after birth. Of course, these are the male chicks. And of course, they can't uh, lay eggs. And they have not been genetically programmed as the so-called broilers have, to have much flesh. So they are killed almost right away thrown into bags that suffocate or be killed by uh, other birds on top of them or ground up perhaps for pet food. And then uh, you wonder if the, uh, the hens are much better off because they're in such close spaces, they can't raise a wing. All the natural instincts are thwarted. And because of that and their frustration, they may peck at the other birds, harming them very much. And the industry, instead of saying, well, this can't be. We've got to increase the space. We've got to make it closer to the their natural instincts. Instead of that, they de-beak the birds, the chicks, in a very, very cruel way without anesthetic, without painkiller. And so, so you see the egg you, industry that they're in. Yeah. Sure, you've just given us a litany. And we, you know, I've known this litany for years. And yet it's very hard to get people to either look at the footage or even accept these concepts um and why do you think that is i mean you have i remember years ago i hosted or i was asked to be the mc of this multi-denominational uh panel on animals and you had people from you had a rabbi you had a priest you had people from all different backgrounds and they all talked about oh how their religion is wonderful for animals mm -hmm. and i got really you know, I lost my patience and I'm like, how can you possibly say that? You know, um, every single animal who is killed wanted to live and they're killed in a completely brutal fashion. How is it that people of the cloth, whatever cloth that is, can lie to themselves? And we see it in every religion. So I'm not singling out Judaism particularly, but we can talk a little bit about some of the controversial um rituals that I personally have attended with rabbis. Many, many rabbis, for example, have spoken out against Kaporos, where chickens are swung and said, use coins again mm -hmm. instead of chickens. And mm -hmm. um, and yet uh, there are people who feel that, that that very, very cruel practice needs to continue. How do, you, how do you reconcile people who claim they're spiritual with actively participating in cruelty? Okay, a couple of things. You probably heard the saying, denial... It's not just a river in Egypt. That people, <laughs> I've often, you know, once I spoke to somebody and said, two big problems are ignorance 
and apathy. And you know what the answer he gave me was? I don't know and I don't care. So uh, <laughs> proving a point perhaps. And yeah. also, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen the musical Fiddle on the Roof, but they open up with a song tradition. And unfortunately, you know, people, their grandparents ate meat and uh, parents, and that was the way perhaps the parents were expressing love, not realizing perhaps the very negatives of that. So, and the thing is, there's a certain herd mentality. People don't want to go out on a limb, don't want to be different. So uh, they see everybody else in their example. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you well know, the medical profession, instead of really coming out strongly, which of course there's some doctors, I'm sure you're very familiar with, Dr. Clapper, Joe Furman, and uh, Dr. John McDougall, but the vast majority of doctors, they get very little training on uh, prevention. They know which pill for this and what pill for that. And if the side effect comes up, we'll try this pill. And, and uh, unfortunately, I, I sometimes think medical practice today is really malpractice if doctors don't tell their patients the many health benefits of plant-based diets. Patients may not want to listen, but at least... Uh, you know, doctors can't force them, but at least they should right. make them aware of that. I'm going to jump in because we've got a lot of callers, um, and uh, we are talking to the author of The Vegan Revolution, Saving Our World, Revitalizing Judaism, the author of Jewish Veganism and Vegetarianism, Studies and New Directions, and the author of Judaism and Global Survival. So uh, we've got on the line Jeff uh, from Los Angeles, your question or thought for this esteemed author. Hey, Jane, and uh, hi, Professor Schwartz. So I, I grew up Jewish, and, and so many of the Jewish traditions like re rely on animal products. I mean, the Passover plate, for example, right? And I know that there are groups that have, you know, proposed, uh, you know, cruelty-free versions of those. Um, but how, how do you get that to be more prominent in, in, in a religious culture like, like the Jewish religion? Okay, well, there's certainly a need for these changes. By the way, one book that I didn't send to uh, Jane, uh, it was really an e-book I had published last year, is called Restoring and Transforming the Ancient New Year for Animals, an idea whose time has come. So in the temple times, again, it's called before, I indicated to do animal sacrifices, and uh, there was uh, the Jewish New Year for Animals was a time for tithing for that. So that's why I say we want to restore that ancient holiday. This is one really thinking out of the box and saying we have to really let people know much more about Jewish teaching about compassion. Unfortunately, often they, they hear about the sacrifices, hearing about what animals can be eaten and also how they can be slaughtered. So my idea is to restore that just as it was another holiday, Tubishvat, which was the Jewish New Year for trees because a certain amount of trees had to be tithed also to give to the poor in certain years and to give to the temple more. So I wanted to restore and transform that ancient Jewish new holiday into a day devoted to increasing awareness of Jewish teachings on compassion for animals and how far the realities are from that. Because I mentioned before, strong Jewish teachings, but uh, they're not... Uh, uh, covered as much toilet nuts, perhaps, 
But how can we change Passover, for example? What's the alternative? If somebody wants to do a vegan Passover, how does that work? Okay, well, first of all, a person can uh, observe Passover as a complete vegan. Now, the court mentioned on the Seder place they have a shank bone and all, but that is uh, not uh, a law that's a minhag or a tradition, and uh, that can be substituted for. And uh, sometimes a red beet is used instead, you know, red beet symbolizing the blood of the previous sacrifice, or maybe an egg for another. Instead of an egg, could be a mushroom that has sort of a fleshy appearance. So today, to me, the bottom line is that every single Jew has a choice in their diet. I can't say that the Jews must be vegans, Although, if somebody takes seriously the mandates I mentioned, the very important mandates about uh, taking care of our health and treating animals with compassion, for example, I can't see how they could not be a vegan. And especially, uh, Judaism, as I've been saying, has strong teachings on compassion for animals. And if they realize how dairy milk is produced, how eggs are produced, it seems hard for them to justify. Uh, being a uh, meat eater. So again, the bottom line is we have a choice, and we always argue, shouldn't that choice be made taking into account the highest of Jewish values? Uh, Let me me ask you this. I just want to break down a little bit what was asked by Jeff Hoffman. Uh, (laughs) Full disclosure, he's a friend, and so I know his last name. Uh, But... (laughs) Um, can we break it down? What is it specifically within Judaism, the words that you could say, okay, this religion is calling for a nonviolent diet, and since killing animals, raising them and killing them involves violence, um, then it calls for veganism. Can you slowly and just really spell it out? What are those writings in the Torah or wherever you can cite them from. Okay, well, as we mentioned before, Jews are to be Rachmanim, B'nai Rachmanim, compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. The book of Proverbs, again, it's a test for righteousness that the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 10, indicates the righteous individual considers the lives of his animals. And we have all these strong, strong teachings there's some uh, phrase called which is really means the uh, pain of living creatures, but it's interpreted to mean that Jews are not to do anything that harms, uh, you know, it's cruel and harms animals. So we have these, but again, it's not just the animal. To take care of the health is a super important mitzvah in uh, Judaism. As I said, it overrides 610 of the 1613 mitzvot. And one issue that we haven't really discussed much so far is that the world, unfortunately, is heading toward a climate catastrophe. As we speak, I know in uh, states like Texas and Florida, and Vermont, and Vermont, Vermont is flooding, yeah. yeah. I mean, I woke up. (laughs) looking at the uh, headlines in the New York Times yeah, and right. the flooding and seeing the flooding. And I'm thinking, 
oh my gosh, you know, climate change is not hypothetical anymore. Okay, It's not hypothetical anymore at all. And yet nobody in mainstream media, which is supported by the meat, dairy, fast food, pharmaceutical industry, and they're all combined, um, they have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are. So we can, if you, if you're not eating cholesterol, why would you need to take a cholesterol lowering pill? That's a multi-billion dollar industry right there. So what, what I'm saying is, um, you know, the climate change is upon us. It's like that great movie, Don't Look Up, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and they're like, an asteroid's coming, and everybody's mm-hmm. saying, don't be so strident. This is a fun morning show. And they're like, no, you don't understand. An asteroid's coming. It's going to wipe us out. That was a metaphor for climate change. And we see these we see these apocalypses, um, large and small, barreling towards us and happening, and yet there is zero mention in mainstream media of one thing that people can do three times a day to reverse climate change. We've yeah. got a couple of more callers. I want to get to them. Um, we're going to, can I jump to Joe in Virginia beach, Joe in Virginia beach, your question or thought for Dr. Schwartz. Hey, Shalom, uh, everyone. Great show, Jane. Uh, and thank you so much for taking my call. My question is uh, people already know about the wrong and killing on the, the suffering of the animals, but they don't want to change as to how do we get people to change that take that step of setting a goal, mm-hmm. recognizing their behavior mm-hmm. and maybe transitioning mm-hmm. their way to plant based. And you know, people already know that mm-hmm. they're, they're, what they're doing is wrong. And if they wouldn't eat their dog or cat, then why should they eat other, other animals? So how do we transition, motivate people to make this change to a compassionate plant based lifestyle? Okay, that's a wonderful, wonderful question. That's a million-dollar question. One thing that has changed in recent years that may help is that, as I'm sure Cole knows, Joan, and also Jane, that there's now becoming an abundance of plant-based substitutes for the animal products, and they tell us that they have the texture, appearance, and taste so close to the meat and other animal products I want to jump in and show this. This is a pastrami sandwich from Unreal Deli. Mrs. Goldfarb's Unreal Deli. Jenny Goldfarb is the founder of this company. It's all over the place now. It's in big box stores everywhere. Her family history is New York delicatessens. her, Her relatives... Her ancestors ran delis, and she decided, mm-hmm. I want a pastrami sandwich without killing animals, and she has turned it into a huge business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not just a pastrami, just about every animal product, there's substitutes, substitutes for eggs. And as you know, there's a wonderful almond milk and rice milk and soy milk and uh, uh, all kinds of great substitutes so that... Uh, Again, some of the uh, plant-based substitutes are not uh, super healthy, but they certainly don't require the killing of animals. They are far less harmful to the environment. So that can be at least a transition food because I've often thought the one question sort of that uh, related to the caller's question is, you know, somebody can say and she's indicated, I know how harmful it is, but uh, I'm not sure. I just love the taste so much. Well, now they can get that same taste same texture, same appearance, without an animal having to be killed. And also, I don't think it's vegan, but as you know, they are working on what they call cultured meat, which is taking cells from the animals, 
putting it in the laboratory, a whole the chemical process, and coming up with products very close to the meat, dairy, and eggs. So that well, actually, it's identical because it is meat, yeah. dairy, and eggs. And you know, despite all that, there are many people who simply refuse categorically. They will not try it. They have contempt for it. And I want you, when we come back, we got a couple more callers, but I want you to give us an answer to how do we get to those people? Because it's one thing people are open. Oh, yeah, I'm willing to try it. But there's a huge swath of the population that is like, no, I have a right to do this. Might makes right. It's my choice. And to that, I say, of course, well, everything's a choice. Driving the wrong way down the freeway is a choice. Everything we do is a choice. Doesn't mean it's a good choice. But in any case, let's go back to our callers. We've got another caller, Michelle in Los Angeles. Your question or thought for Dr. Richard Schwartz. Hi, thank you for all this illuminating information. Um, on a lighter note, some of my favorite Jewish dishes um, are the latkes during the holidays, and I love matzo ball soup. How can we make those vegan, and what other Jewish dishes do you recommend or have you turned vegan as well? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, actually, I've just been reading this book called America Goes Vegan, and I wanted to say, are you familiar with that? By, uh, yes, and we're going to have Tracy Childs and Glenn right. Mercer on in a That's couple right. of weeks. Yes. Wonderful, unbelievable. His book, by the way, before getting back exactly to the question, his first book, Food is Climate, makes a strong case that the most important cause of climate change is animal, agri animal agriculture. First of all, as you know, the cows emit methane, which is over 80 times as potent for uh, unit weight than carbon dioxide and heat in the atmosphere. And it's only in the atmosphere 10 to 15 years. So if we could uh, reduce the number of cows and uh, other farmed animals, that can make a big, big difference. And But the main thing, this is really incredible, that over 40% of the ice-free land in this world is used for animals grazing and growing feed crops for the animals. And because of that, the number of trees in the world estimated to have gone down from 6 trillion to 3 trillion. So that there's far less sequestering of the carbon dioxide. You know, the trees taking carbon dioxide and they give us the life-giving oxygen. And uh, because of that, the uh, atmospheric carbon dioxide is just reaching about 420 parts per million. And it's important to note that number because that's well, well above the 350 parts per million that the climate experts think is like a safe threshold. And it's increasing by two or three parts per million per year. And that's why the world is threatened. That's why uh, the numbers, Jane, that you gave before, so significant, by the way, in addition to what you said, Phoenix now, I think, has had 11 consecutive days with over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And by the way, where I am in Israel, it's uh, super hot. It's going to average like 99 degrees Fahrenheit for the next 10 days or so. Really above. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about the great naturally vegan uh, traditional oh. Jewish dishes. And I know 
potato knishes because I grew up in New York, right near the Carnegie Deli. And I know potato knishes are vegan, right? And I put mustard on them and have them. Those were great. Uh, what are some of the other ones that are just automatically vegan that are traditional Jewish dishes? Okay, well, there's a falafel and there's hummus and tahina, which are really great. And I started talking about that book. The reason for that, and you mentioned the name Tracy. Um, And at the end of the book, she has all kinds of recipes that take traditional foods and make them vegan. So you mentioned before the uh, what's happening in Israel and why it's considered one of the uh, vegan nations. And uh, because of that, I mean, things have changed. You mentioned so many restaurants that are vegan. And by the way, even those that serve meat now, just about every one of them has some vegan options, and that's clearly indicated on the uh, m- menu sheets and all. So definitely, uh, they, they can um, veganize all kinds of animal products. Well, let me, let me go back to the fundamental. Look, uh, uh, Judaism is a religion. And so religions, all of them are based on spirituality. And you make the case in your incredible books that the best uh, way to express anything spiritual is to be nonviolent, to be peaceful. And that obviously uh, killing animals is not peaceful. And um, so where is the disconnect and how are we going to uh, convince people that there is a way, that there is a way for um, mm-hmm. us to have all the joys of life without killing, that life isn't mm-hmm. a zero-sum game, that, and it's, that it might be your might, but it really isn't a fundamental moral right to kill animals for food. Let's think about that for a second, but we've got a caller, Alan in Virginia, your question or thought for this incredible Hi, yeah, author. The um, I don't know if you already covered it. I, t- I tuned it about 20 minutes ago, but I was wondering if uh, Professor Schwartz could talk about how the original food, according to the Bible, was plants only, and only it was only after the deal that Noah made with God where humans can start eating meat. So my thinking yeah. is, you know, the originalists, if there are originalists uh, looking at the Bible, wouldn't that be a good way to try to convince people to go back to how we were originally were supposed to eat? Mm-hmm. Great well, question. I've mentioned that before. Yeah, great question. And again, as you said, it's right in the first chapter of the Torah, chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, it talks about the herbs of the field, fruits uh, uh, from the trees. Yeah, so it was strictly a vegan uh, setup. And by the way, of course, modern science is reinforcing this idea because it indicates that human beings are really much closer to herbivorous animals than omnivorous or carnivorous animals. I mean, you take a look at our hands, they're far from the claws of a carnivorous animal. Our teeth are so far from the hard, you know, long, dagger-like teeth, teeth of a tiger or even a bear. bear. And uh, our stomach acid is only one twentieth as strong as that of uh, 
of great showing some of the uh, slides I have from my uh, slides. Yeah, I, I want to draw, draw, dive into this because actually this is one area where I would say, even though I have a lot of arguments for veganism, I've taken this from your PowerPoint presentation, which is on YouTube. And um, I really want to get clear on why our intestines are more like herbivores than carnivores. You see a, a plant-eating animal there, a deer, to the left with a very long intestine, and then you see a carnivorous animal with a short intestine, where, just spell it out, like you're talking to kindergartens, because mm -hmm. I want to really understand this. Okay, well the thing is, again, we have a much longer intestinal system, and that's wonderful for fruits and vegetables, because it takes a while to get through, so that all the vitamins, minerals, all the positive things in the fruits and vegetables can be digested. But in terms of meat being in there, possibly rotting and uh, the negative effects, that's why so many people need antacids or other things because it's just not natural. And the animal has a strong, you know, much shorter intestinal system, so meat is not in the system that long. And as I mentioned, the stomach. So wait, wait, I want to break it down. So on the yeah. right, you have a fox or a coyote or a, a, a carnivorous animal, they have a very right. short intestines. That's basically the pipeline that takes your food from your top of your body out your, you know what. So <laughs> here on the left, you have the long intestine of the deer. Is our, are our intestines long like that? Absolutely. It's uh, four times longer than that carnivorous uh, animals per unit height. So again, it's uh, it's great for the fruits and vegetables, but not uh, negative for the uh, uh, meat in the system. And that's why there's like an epidemic of diseases related to the animal-based diets, heart attacks, strokes, uh, uh, diabetes, all kinds of cancer. So we could really reduce the disease rate quite a bit with what's called a whole food plant-based diets. And um, we have to educate people on that. Again, part of the problem is very few in the medical profession. I've been in Israel for seven years, and uh, thank God, uh, health would be good, but involved with a few doctors, and not one of them has mentioned uh, you know anything about the diet. Ask me what my diet is. So oh, you know really what? I want to jump in because I just mm -hmm. filled out a form for going to get my yearly physical. And they asked me about my history of smoking. Yeah, I smoked many, many years ago. They asked me about my history of drinking. Yes, I drank many years ago. I'm 28 years sober. And uh, they ask all these questions. They don't ask any questions about diet. And I don't want to name the medical institution because, hey, it, it's very good in a lot of ways. It's one of, it's one of the top in the world. But it is a glaring omission, not a question about diet when lifestyle diseases, which are, yes, alcohol is bad, smoking is bad, for sure, and yet not a question about processed meat is officially cancer-causing, according to the World Health Organization, and yet they don't ask you, do you eat a lot of processed meat? Why not? Why is it that the news media does not talk? Just last week, I was listening to a major broadcaster. I don't need to name names. She's asking so-called environmental experts, is there anything that the average person can do 
anything <laughs> like dramatically is the anything that the average person can do to reduce their carbon to help fight climate change not a word about there's something three times a day that you can do to radically reduce your carbon footprint because and i have a little graph uh which i'll pull up for you uh because essentially right here it might be hard to read but this is the greenhouse gas emissions chart and right at the top is beef lamb and mutton after that cheese so it's beef mutton cheese okay so why is that why is that dr schwartz how do we break through that because what what i find a lot of times is that if i bring it up um oh i'm out of line you know, in other words, there's attempts to silence me and, and tell me to just be quiet. In fact, I was at a climate protest saying when they talked about fossil fuels and I said, and animal agriculture. And a very famous lady who was speaking said, you be quiet. And it was actually in the news. Uh -huh. she's, kind of, she's super famous. But she basically told me to shut up. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, as I think everybody knows the expression is an elephant in the room. And what I've been saying um, is, is, is there's a cow in the room because uh, it's ignored in terms of health, because of animal-based diets uh, causing so many diseases, and certainly when it comes to climate change, because there's no way that we're going to avert a climate catastrophe unless there's that major, major shift toward vegan diets again. Because And it's happening right now, probably as we speak. It, trees in the uh, tropical rainforest and the Amazon rainforest being destroyed, we are literally eating ourselves to extinction. And uh, it's last summer, there were so many events and you think it never happened again, but this summer so far even worse. By the way, last month, June in this 2023 was the hottest June in recorded history, which goes back to about 1880 where they first uh, we're able to measure temperatures widely. I Let me ask you a question. I mean, because I could listen to you all day, but I want to get a couple of points in. We only have a few more minutes. Like you're 89 years old, sharp as a whip. First mm -hmm. of all, you know that dementia is skyrocketing, right? And there's an argument to be made that it's connected to diet. Um, a lot of my friends' parents have uh, dementia, and this is a common thing. Oh, my father has dementia, my mother has dementia, my aunt has dementia. It's mm -hmm. destroying the lives of the, the younger people who have to give up everything to go take care. And what you know, I've heard, and I'm no scientist, so I'm going to say full disclosure, but I've mm -hmm. heard that there's growing evidence that diet has a big impact on whether or not you get dementia because when your body gets clogged, when the arteries and the vessels in your body get clogged with cholesterol, which is in the form of plaque, which blocks blood flow, it's not just to the heart that leads to a heart attack. It's systemic. And address that if you would. Okay. Well, not much to add because you're hundred percent correct that, uh, I think again, this book I mentioned, I've been reading today, uh, New York, America becomes vegan. He has some different rules of health. He says, he says, if it's negative on one thing, it's going to be negative on many, many things, and just the opposite, positive, because we know uh, breaking it down, 
that plant uh, based not only good for the heart, it reduces the chance for cancer, for stroke, diabetes, for, and also again for things like dementia. So I agree completely on that. Uh, hopefully, to do more research, but it just stands to reason. But when, as you say, when arteries are blocked, it goes to it happens to all parts of the body. So I completely agree with your analysis. Well, okay, you are an elderly man, sharp as a whip. You've got all the facts that the teenage influencers are hitting everybody with. So how is it that so many older people, and and look, there's a neighbor, I I love him. I've known him for 32 years, not a vegan. And now I ran into him. He's like, I said, how you doing? Not good, not good. I could tell there's something fundamentally wrong. I said, try a plant-based diet. I actually used our streaming network, Unchained TV, which you can get for free on your phone. And I went to um, Forks Over Knives and I just texted him the film. And to his credit, he watched it. And what he said to me is, yeah, you make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm, I'm too stuck in my ways. I can't change. Why is it that, you know, you get this? This is what I don't understand. Is it why is it that some people, bingo, it makes sense. Okay, they're eating most of the food. People are dying. It's a huge contributor to climate change. It's getting worse. Heart disease, cancer, all these problems could be avoided. It's terribly cruel, horribly cruel, more crueler than than you can even imagine because you might see a photo every so often. However, you're not there in those slaughterhouses, the stench and the feces and everything. And yet you get it, I get it, but other people are completely blind to it. I do not understand. Yeah. Well, we need some psychologists maybe to see this. It's so irrational. It's called madness and sheer insanity. When you realize it's destroying people's health, destroying the health of the planet. And uh, it's so many, so many negative. By the way, one additional thing is it is so wasteful of resources. You know, the world is uh, getting short of energy, getting short of water, getting short on land. And uh, you need so much more land, water, energy, other resources on an animal-based diet than uh, if you had the plant-based diet. It's super, super inefficient. And we're looking at shots of Tel Aviv where I know, having visited a couple of times, it is just filled with not just vegan restaurants, but markets where there's all these vegetables. And it seems like there's a culture, um, no matter what your religious background is, but in that particular region of the world with an emphasis on um, vegetables. Is that my imagination? And are we kind of, is, is the Western world, particularly the United States, exporting its bad habits like fast food to the, to the rest of the world? Oh, the thing, unfortunately, absolutely, absolutely. By the way, there was an indication after World War II with the U.S. was sort of occupying Japan and they introduced dairy products in, in that country and uh, Japanese people became bigger, heavier, <clears throat> and got diseases that before they were not getting. So unfortunately, we're exporting uh, all these negatives and uh, governments are not stepping in and uh, educating people, unfortunately, there's a vested interest, just as there was with tobacco and uh, promoting meat. And now, I, I have one last question. 
how do you deal? Because we had uh, one of the ladies who said, yes, I hear you, Jane. Uh, and she commented uh, here. Um, I love how you speak out. I feel silenced as well, in particular by my own family who don't want to hear it anymore. That won't stop me from speaking out. How do you deal with when are you ever told by your colleagues in your retirement center, shut up already? And how do you deal with it? <laughs> okay. Well, they haven't said that directly, but indirectly that uh, they just don't want uh, having beginning the first few years I was speaking often now, not so much. You know, they feel they've heard it already. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I've given often what they call a Tubishvat Seder, you know, which is uh, an event related to the holiday of Tubishvat, which has become like an environmental uh, Earth Day in Judaism. And pretty much I was told, okay, you can do it, but do not uh, mention climate change and uh, some of these environmental things or how animals are treated. So We're uh, unfortunately completely out of time. I want to say that you are my hero. I absolutely love what you're doing. Uh, the connection between veganism and Judaism has been revealed on this show, as promised. <laughs> And congratulations on all your incredible books. Go on Amazon. All of these books, people, are available on Amazon. Get them, read them, give them to your friends and family. And, you know, stop apologizing for being right. That's what I have to say. Thank you so much, Dr. Schwartz. See you next time here on Unchained TV. Thank you for tuning in to Unchained TV. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.